Welcome to Tube Talk, the show dedicated to helping you become a better video creator so you can get more views, subscribers, and build your audience. Brought to you by vidIQ. Download for free at vidIQ.com. Welcome back to the Tube Talk podcast. My name is Dan Carson, joined as always, or sometimes always, by Rob Wilson. How's it going? Yeah, it's not always, always these days. Uh, welcome back, everybody, to my voice. Hello, Dan. I uh, just want to say a huge thank you for holding the fort, as well as Viper, uh, over the last couple of weeks. Awesome podcast, as always. And uh, yeah, I'm happy to be back in the... Uh, I, don't, I wouldn't call it a, a hot seat, but I'm I'm ready to be back in a seat talking to all of you and hopefully enjoying whatever we discuss today. Welcome back to my voice being on the podcast. <laughs> I, I should be welcoming you back. And you felt like someone has to say the words welcome back, but you welcomed yourself back. And that was a little bit weird for me. <laughs> yeah, because I'm obviously, I'm the talent, right? <laughs> I, I feel bad The only thing that matters on this podcast is myself. I should have I should have given you a more proper welcome back, and I apologize. It was very clever what you just did to make me feel very guilty for the rest of the show. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no guests today. We're going to be chatting about uh, some audience retention. I think we have a lot to talk about here. There's some news on this front. But before we get into it, as always, we like to check the mailbox, see what we've got going on. We check the hashtag TubeTalk on Twitter, and we check our email. We got an email a while back, actually from gary we can read this real quick i've really been enjoying the new format of your podcast i'm sure it's the combination of the varied experiences you both gather plus your different personalities it really adds color to your program i was really motivated to let you know after listening to episode 270 with david from mr h and friends such useful questions and responses i've really struggled over the years to build an audience that return for more content your show continues to give me hope for building a successful channel so gary thank you so much i'm really glad that episode found you well yeah, and, and thanks for for returning to our podcast. I'm intrigued to know um, how you would define the differences in personality, because I kind of think of it as Dan is a, the calm, measured, prepared part of a podcast, and I'm just random chaos. That's how I would <laughs> describe uh, the, the difference in personalities. But you be your own judge and let us know, perhaps, via a Twitter message, hashtag TubeTalk, my personality, Dan's personality. We would love to read them, the more comical, the better, in a future episode. I would describe you as chaotic good. That's... Ooh, is, is there a chaotic good? <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to coin it now, if not. I don't sure. D&D enough sure. to, to really know. <laughs> well, hang on. Well, if we're going to D&D it, so it's chaos good plus one. Oh, Okay. You're going yeah, that route with it. I've got an extra attribute <laughs> of chaos. <laughs> we have some very interesting tweets today as well. Uh, we have one here from from Tom. Now, they're an animator, and they, I guess we'll have to, I think we did tweet this out already. Maybe we'll have to put it out again. But they drew animated version of, versions of us, presumably from watching the YouTube channel, because this is an audio platform. Otherwise, they're, it's, it's eerie how well they did. What did you think of this when you saw it? I think it is tremendous. I like the fact that they um, Tom has given me a full beard because I always feel as if mine is like a bit of a pathetic version of a beard. <laughs> Dan, you're looking cool as always. And I think there's a, there's a defined personality right there, isn't it? You're like happy, uh, waving at them. And I'm just like curiously pointing at Dan for some <laughs> reason as if to suggest you've done something wrong. 
<laughs> and of course, I know this is a, a podcast, but you should actually be able to see this right now. I guess if you unlock your phone, because we're going to use this as a thumbnail, right, Dan, for the for the podcast itself. Well, I was going to use it on the blog. I don't change the thumbnail artwork on each episode. Maybe I should start doing that. I thought we um, had in the, um, custom. Is that not the case? Oh, I'm, I I do apologize. I'll look if it's possible. I'll just I'll go ahead and change it for this one. We'll see if we can do that. When I listen to some podcasts each of them have custom thumbnails so i just assumed that we we did because as you say we do it for the blog we do it on clips so i just assumed that they were added to the podcast that's me showing my unpreparedness there for each and every podcast <laughs> we should probably do that anyway because we did update some branding here but i do as well Indeed. and it's about time we update everything so thanks for that reminder uh, and then we have one here from jd this was from september 14th so we are pretty behind on these tweets uh, I regularly listen to uh, all the YouTube podcasts, and this has been the most helpful one. Great for a laugh as well. Dark mode forever. Yeah. So <laughs> I have a video that's probably going to be out by the time you listen to this podcast that may address the dark theme on YouTube. Yeah, do do watch that because I, I may be being brought to the dark side. <gasps> Are you yeah, coming around? Yeah, I've got it right. I've got it on right now, Dan, actually, and I'm kind of liking it a bit more. Just oh, my gosh. I was, I was forced to use it to do all of his screen recording for a video, and it's. I'm sure it's changed a little bit. I can't remember it being as visually um, pleasing on the eye as before because it seemed, I seem to remember the contrast being all wrong and all the, the text and everything blended in, but it looks as if I've added more... How do I put that? I'm not a UI expert, but it looks as if it's more defined and structured so that things are separated a lot easier. Like it's not, and it's not a complete black, is it? It feels to me more like a very, very dark gray or a much lighter black. I know we're getting into the particulars of different colors of dark mode. (laughs) Yeah. You know why it looks more spaced out and and a little bit better? Because it is better because you're not blinded by the pure white page early in the morning when you're just trying to check some analytics. Is anybody still in the light mode <laughs> version of YouTube? Because I don't think we've heard anybody shout light mode on our tweets. I think they would be a little bit of sh- ashamed because of, you know, the <laughs> how much. Especially now I've defected as well. Yeah. The, yeah. the leader is gone, so to speak. It's okay, everybody. This is safe space. If you want to admit to using light mode, we won't judge. I won't. Okay, I'll judge. Rob probably won't. <laughs> we should probably get to the, the big news story of the day, which will lead us into our, our topic as well. Except you want to say something. Yes. No, so I've just thought of um, an extra news story that I would like to introduce because I know we're going to talk about audience retention mostly, but on the monetization front, YouTube have just announced a plethora of new countries to add to the Shorts Creator Bonus Fund. Ooh. So uh, I don't know if I'm going to read them all out here, but I'm just going to try and find the screen very quickly. Uh, where is it? Oh, just one second. I don't know if we will have <laughs> Don't worry, we won't edit uh, yeah, this or right, anything. Okay, I think I found it. So let me quickly share this. So shall I just <laughs> save them as quickly as possible? Shall I? Should we do some That's music a lot of countries? Read out all of the um, countries. I think we should do this. I think we should do a column each, Dan, and just do it as quickly as possible. Oh my gosh! All right, and this will take less than sixty seconds. Right. Oh, so no. we're currently on the timer is we're gonna let the timer go up to eight minutes. But I'm seeing this is gonna mean nobody who's actually listening. But then we're going to try and read out all of these countries in less than a minute, Dan. So are you ready? I'll do the first column, and then you do the second column. All right. Three, two, one, go. Algeria, Argentina, Australia, Bahrain, Brazil, Canada, Chile, Colombia, Denmark, Egypt, 
Finland, France, Germany, Hong Kong, India, Indonesia, Iraq, Italy, Japan, Jordan. Kuwait, Lebanon, Malaysia, Mexico, Morocco, Netherlands, New Zealand, Nigeria, Norway. Philippines, Portland, Poland, sorry. (laughs) Just just Portland. Just the state of Portland. (laughs) Russia, Saudi Arabia, Singapore, South Africa, South Korea, Spain, Sweden, Switzerland. That was Poland, by the way, just to clarify. Taiwan, Thailand, Turkey, United Arab Emirates, United Kingdom, United States, and last but not the least, Vietnam. You see, Dan, we did that in like 35 seconds. That was pretty quick. And New Jersey. You forgot New Jersey. New Jersey and um, uh, Alaska and Puerto Rico, but none of the other <laughs> 48 uh, mainland states. So just to clarify, we read out all those countries. <laughs> they are now all eligible for shorts payments, bonus payments. So it doesn't necessarily mean you're automatically going to get one. You still have to get lots of views and the audience has to be watching in the right place. But that's increased from about 19 countries to plus 40 and hopefully more will be added and we'll read out those very very quickly in a future podcast so sorry dan to interrupt there but that was a an extra news story that i remember <laughs> to try and mention great um thank you for that the the other bit of news is uh something that if you haven't noticed this uh this is the right episode for you to be listening to because if you're somebody who plays around in your youtube analytics quite often you may have seen that when you checked on your audience retention, things looked a little bit different. Do, Rob, do you want to go over just like what's changed? So there are two principal changes here. If you go to the analytics for an individual video, then scroll down the overview section. This is all in desktop, by the way. You've had the audience retention graph for some time. It's been on YouTube for probably a decade. But what they've now added is typical retention. So it compares the performance of the video itself versus the typical for the channel. So the blue line will represent typical, and then you'll have this gray expanded, I guess, section of the graph going down. And obviously you want your typical, as you want your, the, the blue line to always be above the typical, because it means that you're improving your audience retention. And then the second thing that's happened is that you will see on the graph these gray dotted lines going down, and that represents each chapter. So if you include video chapters, you can see if people are skipping to certain chapters, because there might be a little spike on those gray dotted lines, and maybe whether a chapter as a whole was useful to the viewer. And so that's a very quick overview of what's been upgraded for audience retention. So the chapters are added by you, the creator. You're the one that goes into your description. You set up the timestamps and you write in chapters. If you're not doing this already, it depends on the kind of content you make. But I would say for most videos, if you can add chapters, do. Because YouTube is trying to get these added automatically. And it would be much better if you were in charge of these. Yeah. And then retention, just for anyone who doesn't know, is just the measurement of the duration somebody watches your actual video and it's measured they give you a a time the average view duration and they give you a percentage average percentage viewed it all ties into the same kind of thing how long are people watching your content and very simple um example would be let's say your video is five minutes and the average view duration is two and a half minutes that would be exactly 50 percent audience retention but it's very rarely exact numbers. And I know some of you are going to want to ask the question at some point, what is good yep. average view duration or audience retention? And I think we'll get onto that at some point. That's actually was going to be one of my next questions, but uh, we should also, I want to kind of plug something real yeah. quick because 
upon this new metric being available to us, being able to see the typical retention, you set out on a quest to break it completely. And I, I, I want to know, it was very recent. I think as of Monday, you put that video out. I want to know how that went. Now, well, we're almost a week out. I think we should tease up, Dan. Right, you've asked the question, and I will give you the answer, but I've decided in the interest of listening retention, I'm not going to tell you that until another 10, 15 minutes. Oh. So ask me again, Dan, when I'm prepared to answer the question. All right. Well, yes, I tried to break YouTube. I will tell you how it went later on. Then I guess we can get into our tips. But before we do, I'm going to tease oh, something myself. We're just teasing. We're just, we're just going to have an episode of teasing stuff and not delivering anything. Yes, we're, that's what we're going to do. We're going to give you a lot of tips today on how to improve your retention. And we're going to dive deep into retention. But I'm going to save the super tip the most important for last. Absolutely. The most important yes. one for the very end. So stick around because the most important tip is coming soon. Two things to stick around for now. Yeah. Oof. All right, fine. So what, Rob, is a good audience retention? What should I be aiming for? All right. So first of all, that's an annoying question to ask. <laughs> but, listener, if you want an answer, I will give you an answer. I want an answer. If you are getting audience retention of above 50%, then generally, I would say, and this is very generally, you are doing a good job at least a sufficient job to try making longer videos. So let's say you make a three-minute video and the audience retention is 57%. I would say, good job on you. I'm giving you license to make a video that is four minutes long and see what the audience retention is on that. But I say that it is an annoying question because it is the same question as what is good click-through rate or what is good mm -hmm. subscriber to view ratio, or any question that demands a silver bullet magic answer, which then the creator goes off and says, right, I have to hit these targets. And if I'm well under these targets, then I'm never going to succeed as a creator, or I'm well exceeding these numbers and my channel's not growing. It's not as clear cut as that. So if, yep. yeah, go on. Sure. Well, before you before you get away from that point real quick, this is why it's so important. We, we, we're we guilty of this too, but this is why it's so important we get away from using the word algorithm because algorithm, the word itself makes it sound so defined, right? Like there is a YouTube algorithm. It looks for things yeah. and then it makes determinations, but it's never that clear cut. And people think, okay, well, then there must be silver bullet answers to my questions. There must be a minimum audience retention that I need to get to go viral or to get to a certain level on YouTube. There must be a certain click-through rate. There has to be a number to this because they said the word algorithm. And that's just something we as creators understand uh, when you've been doing this long enough that no, that's just not how it works. There's too many factors. That's why the algorithm exists in the first place. <laughs> Have you um, read... The article on the YouTube blog recently, which was to do with the recommendation system, Dan. I think it was I like two have. or three weeks ago. Um, they were explaining how um, YouTube recommends content to people. And I had a bit of a, a moment of an epiphany as I was reading it. And I was thinking along the lines of, if you treat YouTube as an algorithm, then YouTube, I believe... This probably needs a, you know, a bit more caressing as a phrase, but I think YouTube almost treats you as a hacker 
rather than the creator. You know, some foreign program that is trying to detect vulnerabilities as opposed to a creator trying to make content for an audience. So, you know, it's an attitudinal point of view that. So I guess going back to the question of what is a good audience retention? Yeah. My general answer to such questions is, well, what is your audience retention now? And if you say, or currently it's like 30%, I say, okay, that is your benchmark. What you need to aim for is audience retention of, let's say, 35%. You know, increase it because if you increase it by 5% from 30%, that's actually, I can't do the maths very quickly, but it's like a, a 20% increase in audience retention from where you were. And then you move on to the next step up to, you know, 40%. Similar with click-through rate, if it's currently 5%, then your target isn't 10%, you know, the, the high end, it's more... 6%, 7%, you know, incremental improvements. Because depending on your audience, depending on your competition, these numbers can vary greatly. Even if you just put it as simply as entertainment versus educational content, audience retention is way lower on educational content because the intent of the viewer is completely different. They want an answer to something and probably move on and implement that answer. Whereas with a vlog, somebody wants to be entertained with a story. Now, the best educators somehow merge entertainment with education. I may mention him a couple of times in this live stream, but Ed at Film Booth is, I think, one of the pioneering YouTube educators right now is really infusing incredible editing and storytelling to infuse entertainment into education. And I assume that his audience retention is probably higher than vidIQs because I think ours has always been in the past quite formulaic. We're going to give you the A, B, C, D and out of answers, probably quite efficiently, but maybe not as entertainingly as we can. But now we're getting into the real nitty gritty of how audience duration can fluctuate between different genres and different creators. I should let everybody know we did have Ed on the podcast uh, in an earlier episode. We did. Yeah. And I want to get him on uh, again soon, hopefully, and um, to talk about, because I think we had him on just as he was starting to break out with his new content. And I'd love to talk about how, you know, all of the things that he's learned going from a channel that was, I think it was about 10,000 subscribers, but each video was getting like a thousand views or less. And like within a space of three to six months, he's gone to 70,000 subscribers and his videos are getting 10,000 plus views every time, which is incredible. Sorry, this is turning into an Ed love fest. Let's move. (laughs) Yes. So there are a a lot of different things we need to look at here because I think the big question is, all right, fine. There's no just one answer for what is good audience retention. How do I improve mine? Oh, before we get to that, actually, let's first talk about YouTube shorts because this is still an up and coming tool people are using on YouTube. And I would say personally that the retention rules there, if that's what you want to call them, are going to be way different than any video longer than a minute that does not fit on the YouTube short shelf. Yeah, less data points, less time to collect data. What I found through the help of Jake Fellman's data is that you should be getting your audience to perhaps watch your short more than once, possibly two times. That can be helped with loops, but sometimes you just watch a short and you go, huh, did I just see (laughs) see what I just saw? I need to watch this again. So again, I don't want to start to bring up benchmarks, but success seems to come from 
audience retention of over 100%. So yes, it is actually possible to get audience retention of over 100%, but that just means that somebody is re-watching content, which is very easy to do with shorts since they automatically replay from the beginning and you can do loops in shorts as well. Yes, so important distinction there. And I think it leads in perfectly to what I was going to ask you next, which is, well, why does this matter? Why is retention so important? Why would we dedicate a whole episode to our podcast to it? So first of all, there is the obvious side of this from a business perspective in that the longer viewers watch contents, the more adverts that can be placed in front of those viewers, especially with mid-roll ads and whatnot. But the important thing to reinforce here, according to YouTube, is that watch time has, sorry, monetization adverts have no impact on the discoverability of content. So just because a creator decides to put tons of adverts on a video and earns a bit of revenue from it, that doesn't mean that it will push the content more. YouTube have said categorically on a number of occasions that monetization is not linked to discovery. And I think vidIQ can probably can confirm that because we don't monetize any of our content. We still feel as if I think we get the right discoverability that we've earned. But on the other side of the spectrum, there's something called viewer satisfaction. Now, again, if we just look at this from a very fundamental level, if somebody is watching your contents for longer, you assume that the viewer is satisfied by that content. And I guess in most cases, that's probably true. But YouTube are keen to stress that it is a bit more nuanced and complicated than that. They say that sometimes you can watch an hour's worth of YouTube content and actually not be satisfied by it. And I guess that might be the case of where maybe you watch the entirety of a channel's video, but then you never watch anything else from them. So like, you know, you force your way through that one video and it's like, yeah, it was all right, but I don't think I'd watch anything else from them. That may indicate viewer satisfaction. But YouTube also have, I think they've said that now likes do have an impact on viewer satisfaction. But I think what they say is it depends on who likes it. Like, Dan, I don't know about you, but I hardly like any videos. So I guess when I like a video, YouTube treats that more valuably than somebody who just likes every single video that they watch. And also, I think I also read, this is all from this YouTube blog, by the way, interesting stuff. They also Mm. said that they um, take data from viewer satisfaction surveys. You know, those things that occasionally pop up and you've got to rate a video five stars. Yes. Now, again, I hardly ever interact with them, but I'm sure I read that sometimes what YouTube will do is even if you didn't rate it, they can extrapolate what you might mm-hmm. have rated it based on how you've interacted with a video. So let's say you watched 80% of a video and you liked it. Even if you don't fill out that viewer survey, maybe it treats your rating of that video like a four out of five stars. I could be completely off base here, but I'm sure I read something about them predicting your viewer satisfaction surveys because I hardly ever see them and I never fill them in. Dan, what about you quickly? Do you ever do that? I never see these. I've heard about them. I've, I've yeah, just, I so, never see them. So YouTube are talking about them, but I, I see them so rarely and interact with them so rarely. I just don't know how useful the data is from that. So I guess they're maybe doing some sort of extrapolation from there. So yeah, to go back to the original point, Dan, I think they're using audience retention, yes, 
but they're also factoring in lots of other engagement analytics at the uh, same time. I think... Go on, ask another question. <laughs> I was going to go on then, but I think uh, we need to try and stay on well, track without me rambling too much. It reminds me that I think a lot of creators out there forget the fact that YouTube's algorithm, sorry, is not just... Recommendation system. Yes, I program myself to say recommendation YouTube's system. YouTube's recommendation system is not just focused on you as a creator. Each individual viewer is be the data on them is being collected. Or just like you kind of alluded to there a minute ago, like the frequency in which you hit the like button may in fact put a value on your likes that is in my case, higher than the value on someone else's. If you're hitting the like button in every single video, then you're just kind of, that's your habit. That's the habit you've fallen into. And all it means is that yeah. your the currency there of you hitting the like button isn't worth as much as mine because I'm so it's so rare that I ever hit that button. And so that's just an interesting, I've never considered that. And that's just a really interesting thing when you said that. And it did remind me that one thing I have considered is how does YouTube's recommendation system treat me as a viewer, not as a creator? And I know that if I get pushed a video by a creator I normally watch, but I don't click on it, right? It just this particular video is not resonating with me. Eventually, YouTube stops pushing me that video, right? Like that's just one way. And I recognize that that's one way of the YouTube recommendation system kind of collecting data on me as a viewer rather than a creator. So I think it cuts both ways. And I think it's important to remind people of that. I've just loaded up this um, article in the background because I was going to try and see if I could prove what I was saying a little bit. It's a pretty big article. It is on YouTube's blog. Yeah, it is. It is really big. Um, and I, I'm going to make a video about it. I mean, maybe we should do a, you know, a future podcast might be we, we, we read through this article and, uh, and have, a, have a discussion about it. Yeah. So definitely check that out. Look for a video on it. Maybe if we remember, we can put this linked in our own blog uh, when we're you know, taking this episode, breaking it down for the website. This episode of Tube Talk is brought to you by vidIQ's Trend Alerts tool. Think Google Alerts, but specifically for YouTube trends. This tool is great for planning your next video as it helps you stay on top of trending topics within your niche. Provided you have vidIQ installed on your Chrome or Firefox browser, you'll find it on the left-hand sidebar the next time you're in your YouTube studio. Once there, you can create an alert and enter keywords for it and set the parameters. So, for example, I could have a channel that covers iPhones. And I may want an alert that includes things like iPhone, iPhone 12, or even Apple event. Then I can set up my alert to email me whenever a new video hits, say, 500, 1,000, or even 10,000 views an hour. So if suddenly I get an email and see 20 new videos all talking about iPhone 27 rumors, and they're all each getting about 500 views an hour... I know that something's probably going down and I had better hit record. The Trend Alerts tool is free when you sign up with vidIQ. So visit vidIQ.com, install the extension, and start creating trend alerts today. Let's talk about some other tips here. One of the things we need to discuss is how to improve the retention of your video, but by using better intros. I think that's going to be the biggest killer. I think most people are used to seeing, I say most, I don't really know this, but I, I, I know my history as a creator. I'm definitely used to seeing this. Most creators are used to seeing this hockey stick shape. And if you don't know what we mean, it's that dip at the very beginning of your video. When you look at your retention graph, you see it starts at 100 and very, very rapidly drops down until it kind of stabilizes a little bit. And throughout the course of the video, a lot of retention graphs I've seen is this graph just steadily trickling down, for, you know, traveling down as, as the video goes on. How 
do we improve that? Because we know if people are leaving in the first less than one second of a video, there's a good chance we're never getting them back. <laughs> yeah, so I'm looking at a, a retention graph here for one of our videos that performed better than usual, actually. And in the first 30 seconds, we lose exactly a third of the viewers. And then in the next five minutes, we lose another third. So that just proves how important that first 30 seconds is. And I think what's happening there is that the viewer is usually making an immediate decision about whether they're in the right place or not. And so that's going to be determined by the thumbnail and the title, along with like the first five seconds of what they see and hear in the video. Now, as I say, Dan, there's always going to be drop off. You can't prevent that. Even Mr. Beast, I would predict, is going to lose 10 to 20 percent of our audience in the first 30 seconds because that is the nature of human psychology. But YouTube knows this. YouTube knows that people are going to drop off. But there's always going to be those creators who can have very little or very few people abandoning the videos. And there's also the potential for viewers to abandon the video towards the end. If there are any trigger words like, thank you for watching, hope you enjoyed this video, that's usually a sign to the viewer that the main crux of the content has ended and, and they're going to move on. Now, throughout 2021, I have been challenging myself to try and improve audience retention to 70% or above in the first 30 seconds of vidIQ's content. And I still haven't got there because it's probably one of the hardest things to do. But I think going back to what you said, Dan, is once you lose a viewer, you're not getting them back. They don't return two minutes in. So it is vital after that 30 seconds to have, uh, or, or once that hockey stick starts to flatten out, that is a point at where your audience has some investment in the content. Yeah, there's still going to be a, a natural drop off with most creators' content, but I think fixing your intros is the primary thing before starting to focus on anything else. Because, I mean, folks, if you have access to one of your audience retention graphs now, just take a look at it and take a look at the first 30 seconds and you say, wow, yeah, I'm losing almost a half of my audience. And after that, you know, it's like you may put an equal amount of time and effort into the entirety of your video, but if only half of the audience is watching after 30 seconds, then it makes sense to start front loading some of that time and effort to the beginning of the video to keep them engaged at that point. This is all a matter of going through your retention graphs, checking things out. And then I've always found that it helps to have just you know, a little bit of time away from your video yeah, and it kind of lends you a little more yeah. self-awareness, I guess. You, you get to look at this a little more critically. It's been a couple of days since you posted it. And then you can say, all right, maybe people are dropping off here because of X, Y, and Z. And one of the mistakes I found recently after looking at a whole bunch of videos from creators was that it, they love to put these like really glossy intros on their videos. Sometimes the video just starts and it's music and their name. Sometimes they tease a little bit and then it's music and their name floating around. And that's something that people spend money on, right? Like people actually invest in that as like a way to improve their content, to legitimize themselves, to make their brand look stronger. I've been encouraging people not to do it, you know, because usually there's, if it was like three seconds, that's one thing. But we're talking like everyone I've seen is like five to 10 seconds long. And that is all to me, in my mind, invitation to leave the video. You know, you're, you've taken this much of my time. I clicked on it for a specific reason and you're just dancing your name in front of my eyes. And that's not <laughs> helpful to me, you know? So I usually cl click away and, and now 
it's it's a natural instinct for me. I don't even like think about what I was clicking on in the first place. I just go back to scrolling. And I don't know how you are with these, but I've been trying to deter people from doing that. It's the um Fiverr intro of 2015 kind of syndrome, isn't it? Where you have a Yeah. <laughs> And the, the name is jumping in front of you. And uh, I, yeah, I don't really care about um, Fortnite Gamer 79218's intro. Uh, Fortnite Gamer 71928, you promised me 20 unbelievable headshots in the in the title and a thumbnail. And I ain't seen them. I guess if anybody's really stuck in this concept of intro paralysis, one idea might be the very first thing you say at the beginning of your vid- of this video is, in this video, I am going to... And then just tell people what you're going to do in the video. I mean, it doesn't all work for all genres, but maybe that's going to help put you in a mindset of, I need to reinforce the thumbnail and the title in the first 10 seconds. It obviously needs to get a lot more nuanced and stylized later on in your storytelling journey. But I think, as you say, Dan, just getting out of that concept of the elongated intro, that type of strategy may help. Yeah. So... Earlier, you said you would tell us how yeah. you broke this new tool, this YouTube uh, retention graph, and and how it went. So, I have been wanting to make this type of video for a long time, but it was only when the enhancements to the audio retention graph arrived that I thought I could really do it and get some useful data out of it. So, what I did is I made... I guess what you might call YouTube's first interactive video. I'm sure somebody's already done this, but I'm going to take the credit. (laughs) Sure. What I forced people to do was navigate the video through chapters and they weren't in sequence. So I told people at the very beginning of a video, the only way this is going to work is if you use the chapters. So you need to go from chapter one to chapter two, but chapter two is seven minutes into the video. Chapter three is four minutes into the video. Chapter five is, you know, and so on. So people were going back and forth through the video. Now, before we get into the analytics, the one scary thing I learned is that a lot of people watch my videos while driving. I didn't realize this was a thing. <laughs> well, they did. Now they're all like stuck up trees and, and whatnot. Uh, did. Hopefully not, of course. We've spoken about this before, haven't they we? They did Actually, watch the them podcast. all driving. Like, has anybody had a, an accident <laughs> listening to a podcast? Anyway, I digress. Um, so, yeah, people watching, yeah watching in inverted commas my youtube videos oh, while yeah. driving couldn't take part <laughs> in this because they had to tap on screen but it, it kind of worked so what i was trying to do was get audience retention higher later on in the video than it was at the beginning of the video so let's say we're six minutes into the video and you have audience retention of 60 percent whereas at two minutes it might be down to 40 percent because we're in chapter seven and i've got it on screen now dan and as you can see Yes, people are definitely engaging with the video. They're going, they're using the chapters to follow the story. But I think the problem was is that in order for this to really work, you need 100% buy-in from every single viewer. And I would say I lost a lot of people Hmm. in the first 15 seconds because they just didn't get the concept or they could not be bothered to click on the timestamps. So I think audience retention on this video after 28 seconds was down at 57%. So I'd lost half of my audience within the first 30 seconds, which is really bad, obviously. But then, you know, I'm looking at the audience retention uh, seven minutes in and it's at 50%. So technically speaking, I only lost 7% of my audience. 
at seven minutes in. But unfortunately, uh, five minutes 20 into the into the video, I had 18% audience retention. So it worked in a sense that I could break YouTube's audience retention graph, but at the same time, that also broke the success of my video. The one thing it did do, though, was that it really increased engagement because there were a lot more view, a lot more comments on the video compared to videos of a similar view count. And of course, because people are jumping across the timeline, I guess viewers are engaging with the video itself. But I think that also tells me that YouTube probably doesn't value timeline engagement or chapter engagement very highly, unless maybe it will do in the future. The video's only been out for a week, and it's one of the worst performing of the last 10. I think it's like I think it's 9 out of 10 in the end. So I think what I would say is probably like 60 to 70% of the viewers didn't really care about it. But the 30% who did care about it cared about it a lot more than usual. And they were willing to almost play the game, so to speak. I've been telling people who have been afraid of using chapters that YouTube wouldn't give you a tool and encourage you to use it if they were going to then punish you because it impacted your audience retention as a whole, like negatively. Because, yeah, if you have people jumping to a specific part of your video for a specific answer to a question they have, then yes, you will get less watch time from the video. But I personally believe that YouTube is factoring that in when they encourage you to use these. And I still believe that. But now we know that YouTube has been doing even more work on chapters to the point where you can search for something like a question you have and a video can pop up. And if it's broken up into chapters, YouTube will show you those chapters. And then before you even click on the video, you can click on the specific chapter for the video and just start watching at that point without even going through the intro or anything, which, you know, has to mean something positive from, you know, a, a recommendation system perspective. I think YouTube could go further with that, though, because in Google search for a long time now, they've had video snippets. So, you know, sometimes where you do a search yeah, and it's the first result is a video and like a portion of that video with the answer. I'm waiting for when YouTube tries to implement that into their search results as well. Um, and then that would I would really start paying attention to thinking about the, the video chapters, um, because I think. Uh, you are right, Dan, in that now you can tap on the video chapters, but you've got to tap on it and then you've got to find the chapter. I still feel it's a bit clunky in, in that sense. And also in terms of automatic chapters, mm -hmm. what I've found is that you need to be really explicit within a video about sections of a video. I found that mostly it tends to be when somebody puts a block of text in one of the corners of the screen and YouTube can read that text and then it can work out how to divvy up chapters from there. I think I think there's still a, a quite a lot of learning there, but it is interesting. It, it could be a very interesting tool in the next two to three years. So by that measure, I mean, do we see the retention metric? This is all speculation now. Do yeah. we see this metric getting improved to the point where, because now they've broken out the chapters that you've made in the retention graph. Are yeah. there going to be miniature metrics within this that highlight those more clearly and say like, hey, like a lot of people found your video at chapter four, actually. That's the one they normally mm. click in from via search, you know? So will they break this down on how are people finding this content? Is it through these ways? And when they find it through search and they click on a chapter, like what does that mean for your retention? Do you think the retention graph could look really spiky in the future as people are clicking into the middle of the video, for example? I would say no, because that's similar to when people... 
started to worry about how clips might impact a video. I, you know, like when you share a clip, which is 15 to 60 seconds long, creators are asking the obvious question. Well, hang on. If somebody can only see 15 to 60 seconds of my 20 minute live stream, is that going to ruin the audience retention on it? And then YouTube doesn't promote as, as much. I think we're going into the real minutiae of data points. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a good question. Like, I'm sure there are some videos of ours that have that come up as Google snippets, video snippets. Mm-hmm. I'd love to be able to find one of them and just see, like, if you are right, there's a big audience retention spike where the answer is revealed. But, you know, I wouldn't be able to find that now, I don't think, unfortunately. Imagine being able to break out your retention graph in, like, a manner as such where you say, I just want to see retention on people who came in from browse or people that came in from home search search be the biggest one because that is where i think the only place correct if i'm wrong but that's the only place you can see this new chapter thing that they added right i believe so yeah yeah so even just separating it search from every other entry point i would love to see the difference in in retention graph there i'm looking in the background i can't see any uh, unfortunately dan (laughs) so maybe i have to leave that for another podcast before we um, move on from uh, the discussion about that, how I tried to break YouTube, I just wanted to give you some general analytics because we've got two videos that are of a similar view count here. I made a video about audience retention, you know, actually about the changes here, and that got 15,000 views, 300 comments, and 1,200 likes. Now, the video that's titled How to Break YouTube has 13,500 views, so less views but 720 comments, so Mm -hmm. double the comments, and 1,400 likes, so 15 to 20% more likes as well. So I think there's an interesting human psychology aspect of that in that people have engaged with it more, yes. And what I also think is that although this video hasn't done well now, I think the potential for it to be shared, perhaps on Reddit or elsewhere, because a lot of the comments were like, this was a really cool idea and I really enjoyed watching this video. Mm -hmm. I think this has more shareability. So there is that aspect to consider that in the future, maybe if I'm lucky enough for somebody to share this on another social media platform, then it could see a resurgence and get, you know, the, the right, exactly the right audience. Like if you're a, if you enjoy quirky YouTube videos, you might want to try this out and then it finds its target audience through that way. So there is that other aspect of positive data. I think if your content is being shared, And then the people who watch the content from that share really engage with it. I think that would indicate viewer satisfaction as well. I agree. So we talked about improving the retention on your intros. I want to talk about keeping your retention up. Now, you you talked about earlier on one of our videos, we lost like 30% of our viewers in the first 30 seconds. And they didn't come back, you know, and it happens. I'm sure a lot of people deal with that all the time. What about the other folks that stayed behind? How do you get them to not drop off over the course of your entire video, throughout the whole middle of your video? We should talk about some strategies on how to, you know, keep the people who do stick around from the first 30 seconds. is one way of doing this. And I, again, I'm going to go back to Mr. Beast as an example, but the way he does it is he introduces secondary storylines that create multiple layers of the video. So like you've got the overarching goal, 
the 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 challenge or whatever but then like 30 seconds to a minute in he adds a side story that may get resolved you know halfway through the video or mm-hmm. two-thirds of the way through the video and then there might be another side story that's introduced it's almost like stacking more value onto a video because i think once once somebody's invested into the content as we see you'll start to lose less viewers but you've always got to re-engage them i myself dan i think this is something that i've struggled with in especially in terms of storytelling for youtube education like how do you get something exciting going on while you're telling showing somebody how to add subtitles to a to a video and that's going to be, I think, my next thing. Once I've figured out intros and, and got them up to a level that I'm happy with, then it's going to be the central point of, of the content and how to re-engage viewers in that sense. When Mr. Beast shared that nugget of information, that kind of blew my mind as well because I've, I've watched plenty of his videos now and I've seen him do it. I've seen him introduce... Because you're clicking on the video knowing, hey, there's this challenge where everybody has to fit this stuff in a circle. Whatever they can fit, they can keep. And the majority of the video is him going to different groups of people and saying, all right, here's your circle. Whatever you can fit in this circle, you can keep. And he'll keep adding twists and stuff. But it's something I didn't think about too much. But somewhere in there, he introduces this other thing that's going on. Maybe, Maybe one of the groups is getting hungry. So he sends one of his guys out to go get them food. And that they bring a camera with them. And so it cuts away to them on their misadventures trying to just find some food for this other group of people that, that's waiting from a different point in the video. And that's just one example of how you can kind of bring this in. Now, you as the viewer didn't know that going in. The title and the thumbnail didn't tell you there was going to be a food run involved and hilarity would ensue. It's just, you know, another reason to stick around, which is just genius. And it had never been explained to me in that way. I guess it's... Once you've delivered on your title and thumbnail the promise of why somebody clicked, it's almost as if the viewer is subconsciously saying, right, give me something else. Give me more. I'm into this story, but what else can you do to, to tease it? I guess it's, it's similar to, to watching a series of television. The only difference is when you watch I don't know, The Sopranos, Game of Thrones, et cetera, et cetera. They have 80 hours worth of television to introduce all of these characters and side stories and branches of content whereas on youtube you've got to do it in five to ten minutes and that is really a a craft and an art in itself it absolutely is and it's probably a good reason that people are willing to stick through an episodic tv series that can last 10 20 episodes each one being 45 minutes long because that they've been you know doing this forever they are constantly introducing new characters new things going on twists and turns and as YouTubers, I think, uh, you know, Mr. Beast and others have, have seen that and they don't take it for granted, you know, and they they know that they're not going to keep people watching a 30 minute, 45 minute video full of challenges. But at least, you know, if they're going to make 10, 20 minute videos, they're going to try to make sure people stick around for as much of those as possible. Indeed. And here's the thing that I want to maybe discuss. I don't want to suggest this as this is what you should do, but this is what I'm experimenting with. If you don't feel confident or you don't have the skills yet to add these layers of complexity to your video, then think about shortening the video because you can't hold the viewer's attention long enough. Like if there's only one thing you think you can talk about, one central core point of a video, then all right, do that. But think about where you can send the viewer next. And obviously you do that through end screens. 
again, I'm just talking at, uh, about what Ed's done uh, in his content. Like he's, if he's focusing on audience retention, he'll do a really good video about that. But then he'll ha he'll recommend people watch another video about editing to really help with audience retention. And so there's a you know there's a natural sidestep to another video. Dan, I'm showing the screen now because I made a video today, very short, it's like two minutes forty. And it's about new YouTube monetization updates. And what, and the last thing I mentioned was that, I know this isn't necessarily a monetization update, but it is linked to something that used to require the same number of subscribers. So the community tab requires, or it used to require a thousand subscribers, same as monetization, but that's been lowered to 500 subscribers. So that's a big win for creators, but I, I only mentioned it for 20 seconds. But then what I said is, if you want to learn more about this, then check out the dedicated video we have over here. And it was as quickly as that. So I, I didn't talk about it for long because if you talk about something for too long at the end of a video, people will abandon. Right. And as I'm showing you this graph now, Daniel, I think I've generated like an extra, oh, let's say an extra 100 and 200 views on another video in our catalog. And what you're doing there is you're creating a watch session or binge watching content. I think, Again, sorry, talking about Ed all the time, but he interviewed uh, Hillier Smith, who's an editor of one of the for big YouTube creators, Logan Paul being one of them. And what they decided to do was make their videos super short. So you'd usually think for vlogging and entertainment, you'd be looking at maybe 10 to 15 minutes. That tends to be the standard. But they decided to make their videos four to five minutes with the intent of give, not giving the viewer enough from one video, making them say, I really enjoyed this, but I want more and I want it now. And then going off to binge watch maybe three or four videos. So yeah. it may be that the viewer is watching a similar amount of content for that channel, but they're watching it over three or four videos. And so the audience view duration is really high. And all of those videos are being maximum, their potential is being maximized. So, you know, another question is, which is better, more watch time or higher audience retention? I don't know if this is a, the answer yet, but what I'm experimenting with is longer session watch time. So getting people to watch my content for longer, even though it's shorter, but then watching multiples of the content. And hopefully I'll have some results on that in the future. I guess, Dan... Uh, you're a good example of this because that's kind of what you've been doing on one of your channels. And what happens because of this is you get more average videos per viewer. Is that it? What was the metric? A average videos. What's it called now? I forget what it's called now, but there's a metric out there that basically in your YouTube analytics, it'll tell you on average how many videos a viewer will watch on your channel. So that kind of plays right into what you're saying. Uh, and it's called average views per viewer. Average views per viewer. That's yep. the one. Yep. So there, again, this is one of those where there's no exact number here that you want to be aiming for. Just more is better. So if your number is currently 1.5 videos per viewer, you want to see if you can get that up to two, for example. And we're all now we're talking about something different. We're talking about the retention on your overall channel, basically. You know, <laughs> yeah, it yeah. still plays into what we're talking about today. But the idea here is that people stick around to the end, of the end of your video like they did for Rob's new video today. And they saw the end screen where Rob said, if you want to learn more about this, click here. 
they clicked on my video and now it's getting a, a bit of a resurgence in views this morning, which is awesome to see. So you did a good job keeping people to the end. And now you're doing a good job of keeping people on our channel, which will eventually raise that number for us. That video will trigger people to watch a second video on our channel. And then if I had done the same thing in that, uh, it would have, you know, continued and carried on. And you get people before they know it, they've watched four or five vidIQ videos. I can tell you from a viewer perspective, I've been watching one channel in particular on my main channel that I view videos on. And now my home feed is majority their content because I haven't gone through it all yet. But because I've been so yeah. been watching so many of their videos, the home feed is just a mess with just them. And I'm sure people out there kind of have seen this happen before if you're a big viewer on YouTube and you have just a couple channels you like to watch regularly. And uh, until you go through their whole catalog, that's not going to stop, right? Unless you either stop clicking on them or go through their catalog. And that's the idea here. That's why session time is so important because now your channel can be the one littering someone's home feed with your back catalog of videos. And uh, like you mentioned my other channel a minute ago, that was my hope with making very, very short videos. Interestingly enough, my session time doesn't seem to be that great. It might be because I don't use end screens. Uh, it might be because I don't take advantage of pinned comments. My videos are less than a minute. And end screens, sometimes even the shortest end screen you could possibly do, which I think is like five seconds, that's enough time to bust the outro of my video. And I don't want that. Because if a bunch of people leave in the last five seconds, that represents a large percentage of people dropping yeah. off early in my video. And that outro would otherwise, like people wouldn't know the video was about to end if it weren't for the end screen. And I don't want an outro on the video. So I, I've chosen not to use end screens most of the time to keep my retention as high as it can be. Maybe it's a weird time to experiment. That was very big. <laughs> it might be. It might be. It, that, that channel, because it caters, I think, to a younger audience, uh, per my analytics, demographics lean a little bit younger, college-age folks. School just started. I've lost like half my viewers. <laughs> so nothing's changed other than that. I, I'm just convinced it is change in season. But it is something now I'm in experiment mode because I feel like I have more license to do that. The, the channel already is, quote, broken, if you want to look at it that way. So I might as well just mess around and try new things. Well done, kids. You've broken Dan's channel. Thanks. Well, we're getting close to time and we did promise a super tip. Should we get into that? Yes. I've forgotten what it is, Dan. What was the super tip? There was no super tip. <laughs> that was the super tip. The super tip is to, if, you, if you're trying to figure out what would my B plot be, yeah. what, I don't make videos like that. Leave something till the end to let people know, hey, you know, and uh, BuzzFeed's been doing this forever, right? Since the dawn of the internet, which was not when they, you know, were <laughs> brought to us. But anyway, since they started, it's always been like, by the way, tip number eight will shock you. And that's kind of what, you know, I think you probably, we're not very good actors. I yeah. think you probably heard through that. But that was the idea, is that we're leaving something till the end. We're letting people know the value doesn't stop halfway through this podcast, halfway through this video. It stops at the end where it should. And you should definitely stick around. So our super tip most likely just angered and frustrated you. Like, what was the point of that? <laughs> it's just, it, more importantly, who do, who do you blame for that? Was it my fault that this, that, that super tip was... <laughs> Was uh, not what you expected, or was it Dan's fault? Yes. Let us know in the comments below. <laughs> because I, 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 got, I got my story out like halfway through the podcast, so I was fine. I think people listened to that. I think they did, yeah. No, it's a good, it's a good story. <laughs> so I want to thank everybody for listening to today's episode of Tube Talk. We hope you had fun. We hope you learned something. And hey, leave us a review on the Apple. That's what people call it, right? They call it the Apple these days. All right. I, I, I don't know. Maybe. 
you, you know where it is, right? You, you can leave reviews on Apple Podcasts. You let people can. know. We'll we'll read them out as best we can. Oh, we so will. Yeah. Yes. Thank you so much. We will see you next time. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Tube Talk, brought to you by VidIQ. Head over to vidiq.com slash tube talk for today's show notes and previous episodes. Enjoy the rest of your video making day.